so excited uh, to be able to share with you this morning. Again, my name is Pastor Peter. I'm one of the staff pastors here at the church. And today we're starting a new four-week series called Overcomer where we're going to be looking at how we can overcome the sin that so easily wants to entangle us and trip us up as we're following Jesus. And so uh, I'm really excited that I get to be uh, in here with you, sharing with you uh, this series as Pastor Todd and Jan are away on a vacation. So today we're going to be talking about overcoming comparison, but I just want to take a moment and let you know about next Sunday where we're going to be talking about overcoming apathy. And I think it's going to be a really exciting message where we're talking about how so easy in our lives, in our culture to escape into a book or a a movie or a game, but how Jesus really wants us to be passionate followers of his. And so I hope you'll join me next Sunday as we talk about that. Uh, We're going to be talking about overcoming comparison, apathy, labels, and fear. But thinking about comparison, uh, as I was driving my family back from BC last week, uh, I couldn't help but compare myself to the other drivers on the road. It's so easy for us to compare, and especially when you're driving. And it reminded me of an old George Carlin quote uh, where he said, have you ever noticed that anyone driving slower than you is an idiot? And anyone driving faster than you is a maniac. And that's how it was for me driving on the road. You know, you've got the car in front of you in the fast lane who's going less than the speed limit. And you're thinking, this guy does not know how to drive. And then when you're going 20 over the speed limit, I mean, this is a hypothetical, not that I was doing this. But if you're going 20 over the speed limit and then there's that big truck that comes barreling up behind you, can't wait for you to get over. You're thinking, you're a maniac. You don't know how to drive. Really, the only person on the road that knows how to drive when I'm driving is me. Everybody else doesn't know what they're doing. But it's so easy for us to compare ourselves, and comparison can get us into trouble. Uh, I remember being a, a newlywed, and my family had given my wife, Crystal, the Matheson Family Cookbook. And all the favorite recipes that I had growing up. And so Crystal decided that she would make me Matheson chocolate chip cookies, uh, which I'd been eating since I was a kid. So she followed the recipe exactly. She made them, presented them to me. And I'm thinking, man, this is such a kind and thoughtful thing for my wife to do. I eat a couple of the cookies. And then she's like, hey, so what do you think? How are the cookies? And this is where I made my mistake. So if you are a newlywed here today, uh, take a note of this. Don't do what I did. Because I said, oh yeah, the cookies are good. But you know, my mom's chocolate chip cookies are a little chewier. And these are a little too cake-like. My wife did not appreciate that. She did not want me comparing her baking to my mom's baking. Well, Craig Rochelle... uh, who is the pastor who originally came up with the idea for this series. And uh, at his church, Life Church, they shared this four-week series. And Pastor Todd came across the content of it. And he loved it so much that he asked me to kind of take it, the bones of it, and remix it uh, for our church. And so he says this about uh, comparison. He says, the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it with something else. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it with something else. And now in our society today, it's never been easier for us to compare ourselves to others, especially with social media. 
You know, for me, I remember about six months ago, I was with my family, with my kids and my wife. We had a great day together. And then I got home and we put the kids to bed and then I grabbed my phone and I was just going through my feed and I started to see that all of my friends were all at this one party together. And they're all sitting and laughing and they're sending me pictures and they're sending me videos and it looks hilarious. And suddenly I'm starting to think like, hey, why wasn't I invited to this party? And my great day that I'd had with my family suddenly didn't seem so great. Comparison kills contentment. It's so easy for us to fall into the trap of comparison, and comparison kills contentment. You know what it's like? You go onto Facebook and you see your friend who's on her second vacation of the year, Or, uh, you know, she's down by the pool posting pictures of her feet uh, by the water. It's when you're at home in your sweats and you're eating a microwavable dinner, but you see your friend who's out on a fancy date eating steak and lobster. Comparison kills contentment. Andy Stanley says, you know, we're completely satisfied with our eight-foot ceilings until we see their 10-foot ceilings. And then you come home and you feel like you have to duck in your own house. Comparison kills contentment. Stephen Furtick says that we live in our behind the scenes while we see our friends' highlight reels. We're living in our behind the scenes everyday moments of our lives, just our ordinary lives. But we get to compare it with the glamour shots of our friends' adventures and the photos that they're posting of all the cool things that they're doing. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. And he says that we are not to compare ourselves as some do. And he says, but they are only comparing themselves with each other. Using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. How ignorant are we when we try and use ourselves as some sort of standard of measurement and compare our lives to other people. It's ignorant. Well, Andy Stanley did a series about comparison. And his big point that he had for his series was there's no win in comparisons. There's no win in comparisons. And he did a message called The Land of Ur, where he talked about the desire inside of each and every one of us where we want Ur. We want to be rich Ur. We want to be cool Ur, pretty Ur, strong Ur. We want to be funny Ur. We want to be whatever they are plus Ur. And for each one of us, it's different. We pick different people that we want to be like, but we want to be Ur. And for some of us, that's not enough. We have to be est. So I have to be the great est or the rich est or the healthy est or the retweeted est. We don't want want to just be er, we want to be est. And comparison can get us into trouble. Dave Ramsey says that most young couples expect to attain their parents' standard of living, the house that their parents have and the cars that their parents drive, within their first five years of being together. But the problem is that it took their parents 25 years to get to where they're at. And so we live under this comparison. We feel this pressure to get to what our parents had, the house that we grew up in or what they have now. And it's this pressure we feel Because of comparison. 
You know, for some of you, this might even come from your own family, hearing things like, why can't you be more like your sister? Or it's that family gathering where you get together with your brother-in-law who's always talking about the new truck that he has. And then the next time it's the new boat that he has with the truck. And then the new trailer to go with the boat and the truck. And you're just feeling, I can't keep up with this. You see, comparison is always going to make us feel one of two things. Comparison makes me feel superior or inferior. But neither honors God. You know, I can find people and compare myself to them, and I can feel superior. I can feel really good about me based on that comparison. And I can find people where I compare myself to them, and man, I just feel so inferior. I can't keep up. I can't do what they do. Neither of those honors God. Comparison, it's a trap. It ties us up. And for me, one of the real times that comparison became so real in my life was when I became a parent. Now, maybe for some of you, it was when you got married or engaged and you're comparing, you know, uh, your ring to her ring, you know, your venue to her venue, your vows to their vows. But for me, it was when I became a parent because so many of my friends became parents at the same time. And so I'm watching my kids, and then I'm watching their kids, and I can't help but to compare. So I'm going, your kid is already crawling? No, they're walking? Oh, she's potty trained? Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, you're sending them to that school? Oh, okay, yeah, all right. I can feel superior or I can feel inferior, but neither honors God. Comparison, it's a trap. You know, you might be thinking, Watching people going on vacation, thinking, man, I can't take my family to Hawaii like they can. Or even this year, I don't even know if we're going to be able to go anywhere. I'm stuck. I have to work. I have these things. And we can feel inferior just based on comparison. Even for some of us, it can get so extreme, this comparison in our lives, where we begin to hate ourselves because you feel, I will never be as blank as them. I will never be as smart as them. I will never be as successful as them. I will never be as pretty as them. I will never be as popular as them. Whatever fits in the blank, but we can begin to hate ourselves because it's this comparison trap. It's so extreme. It's it's a curse. It kills contentment. And we can see comparison all through the Bible. You know, we can look at brothers that are competing and comparing against each other. We can even see it in the lives of the disciples, the people who are the closest to Jesus, who spent the most time with Jesus, and yet they have this rivalry between them, this competition between them. They're comparing themselves against each other, trying to figure out which one of us is the greatest. You know, if you had to rank us, which one would be ranked first? What order would we be in? And they're competing about this all the time, comparing themselves against each other. We see it even when the report came from Mary that the tomb that Jesus' body had been laid in was empty. Mary came running, 
And Peter and John, they get the news and they hold a foot race as they're both taking off at top speed to run to the tomb. And they're competing with each other because John tells us in his gospel that the tomb was empty and he won the race. He got there first. He was the first one there. It continues even after Jesus had risen from the grave and showed up to his disciples where Peter and John and some of the other disciples are on a boat and they go fishing. They're out tossing their nets on the side and then a man comes along the shore and they don't know that it's Jesus but it's him. And then Jesus tells them to throw their, no- their nets on the other side because they haven't been able to catch any fish. And when they do, they catch all the fish. And John wants everybody to know that he's the first one who figured it out that it's Jesus on the shore. He turns to Peter and he says, it's the Lord. And then Peter responds where he jumps into the water and he swims all the way because he's got to be the first one to get to Jesus. They're competing against each other all the time. But it leads to this really significant moment between Peter and Jesus on the shore together. And to understand it, we kind of have to rewind a little bit in the life of Peter to after the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And Jesus is beginning to tell them, hey, things are going to get hard here. You guys are going to scatter. And Peter, he starts throwing shade on the other disciples saying, well, not me, Jesus. Everybody else, all these other disciples, sure, they'll probably leave you. But not me. I'm going to stick with you. I will never deny you, Jesus. But then just hours Later, that night, when a servant woman comes up to Peter and asks him, hey, do you know Jesus? Aren't you one of those disciples? He denies Jesus. And then he moves to another part of the courtyard to try and get away, but she follows him and stirs up a little bit of a crowd, and they're saying, hey, no, I'm pretty sure, aren't you one of the disciples of Jesus? And he denies Jesus again. And then the third time when Peter denies Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus actually looks over and sees Peter. Peter sees Jesus looking at him as he's denying Jesus, saying, I don't know you. It's a devastating moment in the life of Peter. And it's part of even what drives him after Jesus is risen from the grave to actually be out and fishing on that day. It's like he's returning to his old career as he was a fisherman before he was following Jesus. And when he swims to shore and he has this moment with Jesus, Jesus begins to call Peter back into his ministry, into what Jesus, the plan that Jesus has, the purpose that Jesus has for him. And it's this moment where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Jesus, I love you. And then Jesus says to him, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And then again, a second time, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Jesus, I love you. And a second time, Jesus says, feed my sheep. 
And then a third time, even as Peter three times denied Jesus, a third time Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he changes the word in the Greek to agape. Do you truly, deeply love me? And Peter says, yes, Jesus, you know all things. Yes, I love you. And Jesus says again, feed my sheep. This powerful, amazing moment between Peter and Jesus. And it's public. The other disciples are around as this is happening, just as his denial was public and there was other people around. But, but Peter, in the middle of this moment with Jesus, in verse 20 of John chapter 21, it tells us that, that Peter, he turns and he looks to the side and he sees John, his competition, his rival, there, and in verse 21, this is what it says. It says, when Peter saw him, when he saw John, he said to Jesus, what about him, Lord? Peter says, what about him, Jesus? What's his assignment? Yeah, you're asking me to feed your sheep, but what about John? What, what's his job? Is it better than my job? I hope it's worse than my job. Is it different from my job? Is he supposed to feed your sheep too? Peter is looking to the side at John. And this is what Jesus says to him. Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Jesus is saying to Peter, don't look at John. Don't worry about John. What have I asked you to do? Feed my sheep. What's your job? Feed my sheep. What's your race? Feed my sheep. That's your lane. That's where I'm asking you to go. That's the direction you're to head in. Don't be looking at John. Don't compare yourself to James. Don't try and compare yourself to what Judas did. What are you to do? You're to feed my sheep. What is that to you? As for you, follow me. Look to me. Don't be looking to the other people. Look to me. What am I asking you to do? And we need to understand that you can't faithfully follow Jesus if you are always comparing yourself to someone else. I can't faithfully follow Jesus if I'm always comparing myself to someone else, if I'm always looking to the right and to the left instead of looking to Jesus. You know, Andy Stanley says, if we're looking in the wrong direction, eventually we're gonna head in the wrong direction. We've gotta look to Jesus. We gotta follow him. And inside of each one of us, there's this insecurity that no external win can satisfy. There's this longing deep inside of us to know that we matter, to, to try and say that we're okay, but no external win can satisfy that longing inside of us. There's not enough money, there's not enough followers, there's not enough popularity or enough likes, there's not enough success to satisfy that inner longing that we have. And we have to recognize that comparison, it's a trap. It's a race that has no finish line. That there can't be tranquility and peace in our heart if we're chasing after the wind. If we're chasing after something that has no finish line. And each one of us, it's like we hold up a mirror 
in front of us. We compare ourselves to different things to try and feel like we're okay, that we're doing all right. And so we compare ourselves with people, but that leads us to feel either inferior or superior, and neither honors God. Or we compare ourselves with our feelings, and how do I feel about this? But we know that our feelings change, and we try and compare ourselves with the culture and how things are in the world, but we know that even culture changes. We're trying to find the answer to this question. It's a question that each one of us has to answer. It's who or what is going to define my worth? Who or what is going to define my worth? Now, I'm a children's pastor, and children's pastors are famous for setting up questions where the only answer is Jesus. And that's what the answer to this question is. Because if we try and live our lives, if we try and define our worth by anybody other than Jesus, you know, by a parent, by somebody, you know, that we used to be in a relationship with, anybody, if we try and fill in the blank or answer that question with anything other than Jesus, we're running a race we can't win. So who or what is going to define my worth? It's Jesus. He's the only one who can answer that question. He he is the answer. And I appreciate what it says in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, where it says, Therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And that's what this Overcomer series is all about, that we want to throw off these things. We want to overcome in these areas that want to trip us up, that want to slow us down. And it says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We need to know that there is a race marked out for us. That there is a race that we are to run. That Peter needed to run his race. He needed to feed Jesus' sheep. That's what he was called to do. When you're running a race, you can't take the time to look to the side and compare how you're doing to everybody else if you're trying to win your race. you got to run your race. And verse 2, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And so we have a race that we're to run. There's things that we are called to do, things we want to see accomplished in our lives. And we're to run our race, the race that's marked out for us. And we're to run it with perseverance. And we're to fix our eyes on Jesus as we're running this race and not compare ourselves to anyone else but to look to him. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. He says, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. There is a race marked out for us to run. And we're to run it with perseverance. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus. And we are to run it with purpose in every step. And so as I've been going over this message and and 
looking at these things. Like I said, this was originally a series that was put together by Craig Rochelle, and it's hard to preach a, a message on comparison when you're trying not to compare yourself to Pastor Craig Rochelle, who speaks to thousands and thousands of people every week. But I really was thinking a lot about what's my race? What's the race that's marked out for me? And you know, at the beginning of the week, I would have said that my race is contentment. That, you know, I really need to uh, be content with where God has me, with what he's asking me to do. You know, I can look at the many blessings that God has provided in my life, and it's just to be content with what he's given me. But as I've been working through this message, and as God has been speaking to me, you know, it's changed to where I really understand in a different way that my race is to run with purpose in every step. You know, I love the picture of Jesus as my good shepherd because I love the idea of being a sheep. You know, a sheep just has to stay close to the shepherd. A sheep kind of gets to dawdle around. You know, the shepherd leads the sheep. The shepherd provides for the sheep. The shepherd protects the sheep. I like the idea of just being a sheep. But when I start to think about that there's a race marked out for me, that I need to run, I hear God speaking to my heart saying, hey, I need to see some forward progress here in this race. I'm calling you to a race. I'm asking you to go forward, to step out, to move forward in your race, to set your eyes on me, but to make some progress in your race. You know, this series is about being an overcomer. I want to overcome some things in my life. I want to go following Jesus through some mountain ranges where I get to look back and see how far I've come and that he's brought me through some things. But it's going to take some forward momentum. It's going to take some progress some purpose in every step. There's a race marked out for me. And so my race is to be a godly husband devoted to my wife. My race is to be a father who is pursuing my children's hearts. My race is to serve this house with integrity. My race is to pursue God's heart with purpose in every step. That's my race. What's your race this morning? What is the race that's marked out for you? You know, it may not be to have the biggest business, but maybe your race is to lead your business with integrity. You know, you may not have the biggest house on the street, but you're going to be at every one of your kids' sporting events. And for you, that's your race. Run your race. You know, you may not have a, a big public ministry, but you're going to show up every Friday at Eastside Youth, and you're going to pour your heart into a, a small group of teenagers, and you're going to see God work in their lives because of your faithfulness. And that's your race. Run your race. You know, you may be getting ready to go back to school in September. Or you're doing summer courses and you're just trying to get through school. That's your race. Run your race. You know, maybe you're watching as everybody else is kind of hooking up and doing whatever they want. and You're trying to live a life of purity. That's your race. Run your race. Know that God is faithful to you as you run your race. What's your race today? What are those things that God has put in your heart those things that he has for you, that course that he's marked out for you. You know, for me, I can't 
be looking to the right or to the left at what other young pastors are doing and the churches that they're planting and the things that they've got going on that are really big and exciting. I've got to run my race. I can't look to the sides. We gotta fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because there's no win in comparison. And we have to answer the question of who or what will define my worth? And it's Jesus that defines my worth. And this is who he created me to be and that there's a purpose for me to fulfill. There's a race for me to run. There's a family for me to raise and to lead. There's things for me to do. That's my race. We've gotta run our race. We've gotta run it with perseverance. We've gotta run it with purpose in every step. And we're not gonna run this race for an earthly crown. We're gonna do it for an eternal crown that never fades. That's our race. Jesus, I just thank you, God, that you have marked out a race for us to run. And God, we want to be faithful to you, running our race with perseverance, running our race with purpose in every step. God, we don't want to look to the right or to the left, but help us, Jesus, to run our race.